It is so exciting to be able to start this new sermon series, and I've got Pastor Patty here to help me, but I want to give a new shout out. You might have seen a new face that was helping to sing. Um, we want to welcome Ty Thrift. He is a new um, section leader for our tenor section and an App State student, so we were very excited to welcome him into onto our worship team. Uh, and man, he just like moved up yesterday and is off and running this morning. So um, we are grateful to, to be able to enjoy his um, musical, musical gifts. And thank you, Patricia, as well. Um, and of course, Dana, tickling the organ keys. Um, so we do start this new series called Remembering, I mean, Reimagining Church by Remembering Our Origins. And what we really want to do is spend some time looking at the early church and the circumstances that they faced, the problems that they had to overcome, and what might that have to tell us today with the circumstances that we are facing. And so I've been asking folks this question all week. Patty, I wonder if you could share what are, what are one or two things that you associate or that you know about the early church? What I know about the early church is it was a group of families or a community come together un under one roof, under a house. And I, I imagine them uh, reading a new letter from Paul or talking about uh, the things that they have seen and just enjoying life together. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, uh, one of the things that jumps out to me is that they, they did meet in their homes. And I also remember stories where like if one person was converted and began to become a believer, like the whole household would be baptized. And um, also, uh, and we tap into a little bit of that today, but I also remember they had very interesting beliefs around their resources and how they shared things. And, and early on, um, they were very communal in their resources, and, and that's, that's always been interesting to, to look at as well. We're going to look at a bunch of different things over the next several weeks, uh, but right now when we think about our context, um, with COVID-19, uh, it is, um, there's some similarities for us here. So we think about the early church, right? They, they didn't have a building that they met in, um, and neither do we right now that we can gather in particularly large groups. And so I wonder if uh, one of the most important questions that we could be asking right now is, what actually is the church? Is the church the building? Is the ch Oftentimes when we say I'm heading to the church or I'm going, you know, I'm, I'm part of the church and, and, and um, we're thinking in terms of, speaking in terms of the actual building itself. But I wonder if the better question is uh, that what makes up the church or the people in it and what, what we do. And I think that's what we're going to be wrestling with in some ways over the next uh, several weeks. And, um, and, and being able to see what were some of the things that the early church had to overcome that we could learn from that are similar to what we're having to figure out, problem solve, and overcome as well. But when we talk about the purpose of like what were they gathered to do when they did you know, come into community with one another, what was their number one purpose? Well, it was pretty clear for them. Their number one purpose was to tell the story of Jesus Christ and to do, do a couple of things, to bring freedom 
from the law that the Jews were trying to live under, to be faithful and obedient to God, to bring freedom from that law. And then they were also working to bring uh, both opportunity and grace to include the Gentiles. Um, so both of those things were happening. And the early apostles and Paul were trying to make the gospel known and to make it relevant, the story of Jesus relevant to the Greco-Roman world. So the vision quickly moved beyond Jerusalem. So we're going to hear a scripture passage this morning that, is, that, that paints a picture of truly the beginning, the early gathering of Christians into community, into what became church. And so I want to read from Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. And as I, I read this as a starting point of the early church, I just I invite you to listen for a sense of movement, for a sense of reorientation that um, they begin to happen as the gospel begin to spread. And so here from Acts 11, verses 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered as a result of the trouble that occurred because of Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They proclaimed the word only to Jews. Among them were some people from Cyprus and Cyrene. They entered Antioch and began to proclaim the good news about the Lord Jesus also to Gentiles. The Lord's power was with them. The Lord's power was with them and a large number came to believe and turned to the Lord. When the church in Jerusalem heard about this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw evidence of God's grace, he was overjoyed and encouraged everyone to remain fully committed to the Lord. Barnabas responded in this way because he was a good man whom the Holy Spirit had endowed with exceptional faith. A considerable number of people were added to the Lord. Barnabas went to Tarsus in search of Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. They were there for a whole year, meeting with the church and teaching large numbers of people. It was in Antioch where the disciples were first labeled Christians. About that time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, Agabus, stood up and, and inspired by the Spirit, predicted that a severe famine would overtake the entire Roman world. This occurred during Claudius's rule. The disciples decided they would send support to the brothers and sisters in Judea, with everyone contributing to this ministry according to each person's abundance. They sent Barnabas and Saul to take the gift to the elders. This is the word of God for all God's people. Thanks, Thanks be to God. So we titled this sermon series, The Scattered Life. Partly because, I mean, not the series, just today's sermon. And we, we titled today's sermon, The Scattered Life, partly because of how the church began. Um, the believers were very early on scattered geographically. And there were a couple of reasons that that took place. We, we, we hear it referenced in the beginning of the passage that I just read to you. But also in uh, Acts chapter 8, it, it talks about the scattering as well. And what happened is um, Stephen, one of the disciples, the apostles, one of the ones who was leading the early church early on, had just been stoned. 
He was executed publicly, and this uh, frightened and, and, and sent a bit of chaos into the, the, the Jerusalem Christian community. And so even in Acts 8, it says, everyone scattered beyond Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria except the apostles. For a time, only the apostles remained in Jerusalem. And uh, so this persecution was one of the reasons that people scattered. But another one was just pure evangelism that we see Peter, Philip, Paul, Barnabas, and many others were taking the gospel beyond Jerusalem and across the Mediterranean. Now, our life feels scattered today in so many ways, Patty, and, and a large part of this is COVID-19. It has disrupted patterns. It has caused us to live our life in new and different ways. It, it's, it's, we're, just, we're just having to adapt um, and still live in this adapted mm-hmm. mode. Yes. And so I wonder, how has your life felt scattered um, because of the past five months now? Well, everything in my life is now around this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have to take our mask wherever we go. We have to determine if a restaurant is social distancing. I just can't get into the car and go see a friend. Right. Uh, we, we only go to the stores certain time because they're crowded on mm-hmm. other times. So everything is planned as opposed to spontaneous now. Mm. Right. We've, we really have lost that sense of spontaneity. I hadn't thought about that other than, than in our own individual lives. Right. Um, we can't get up and go anymore right. like, we, like we were before. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's, uh, I'm so thankful for our church staff that's become like my second family. Because otherwise it would be me and Greg <laughs> um, for the past five months. Greg, I love you. Oh. I love you. But, oh my gosh, um, it just has been, for me, part of the scattered is that I feel disconnected to folks. And um, I I get excited when I run into someone at the grocery store. It's like, oh, I haven't seen you in so long. But I can't touch. Right. It's like you you give the virtual hug. Um, but, But there is a sense of scatteredness that we have now, a disconnection, disjointed, sort of out of sorts. And as we're beginning to adapt to this new normal, some of that is getting a little bit better, but we're still um, in many ways disconnected like the, the early church was. Um, and so I, um, but I do want to note that, that a big difference between, I mean, between now and the early church is unlike the early church, we're not being persecuted. I do not want to draw the conclusion that persecution is the cause of this great disruption. It is a pandemic and there is a difference there. We aren't saying that the church today is somehow being persecuted by um, what is happening, that God hasn't caused this um, grand um, pandemic in order for us to to do things differently. Um, But it absolutely has affected how we do church right. and how we think about church and how we engage church in our lives. So from the scripture passage, we can learn a couple of things. We've already mentioned that proclaiming the good news was at the core of what was happening. That was what was bringing people to them, was hearing the story of Jesus and um, how that can make a difference in their lives. And, and 
this week I've been thinking about, well, how are we proclaiming the good news today? And what are some opportunities that might uh, be coming out of um, this new way of doing things? And and one of the obvious is that we have such a, a much broader reach now of of who is able to hear the the good news as we worship. Because now anyone can find us on Facebook or YouTube. They can be searching through um, their Facebook and see a watch party that maybe a member of our church has started. And so someone from far across the globe all of a sudden is worshiping with us. That would have never happened before. Um, In order for you to hear the good news through our worship, you would have to be in this building at either 845 or 1055 on a Sunday morning. And so this, that part of this, this, this opportunity is really opened up for us in, in new ways. And so another example of how church with a capital C is not and cannot be limited to just what happens inside the building. Amen. It just can't be. Another thing we see from the scripture is what I think is one of the most important verses, verse 21, is that the Lord's power was with them. And a large number came to believe and to turn to the Lord. Um, this, this is so important to realize that all that was happening, it was because the Holy Spirit was moving within them. It was because the Lord's power was undergirding and um, pulsing through everything that they did. And so there's an interesting, you know, so Barnabas is sent up from Jerusalem to go and check out what is going on in that that. Um, uh, that place called Antioch. And in some ways it was the apostles saying, uh, can you go make sure that they're on the up and up? And of course Barnabas gets there and it's beautiful what's happening. But it might be interesting to learn a little bit about Antioch to understand the context here. Um, Antioch was actually the third largest city in the Roman Empire in that day. You had Rome and then you had Alexandria and then Antioch. So it was incredibly diverse. It was, uh, there were tons of people there, huge thriving market. Like it was, uh, it had a very um, uh, vital heartbeat to it. And so there were all kinds of people there. And that becomes important for um, what was happening in Antioch. That they um, had been the, Antioch was the capital of the Assyrian empire. And so if we know even more of our history. We know that Assyria is the country that came and took the northern kingdom into exile in the Old Testament. And so there were already a lot of Jews that were still in Antioch that had not come back to Jerusalem after the exile was over. So there were lots of people that they could tell the gospel to that that were already Jews. But also interestingly enough, if you caught it in the scripture, this is the first time the word Christian is designated to name this group of people, the Jesus followers. And at first it was derogatory, just like for us Methodists, that term Methodist that was given um, early on, it it was meant in a derogatory way as well. Uh, But the word Christian means a Christ follower, or actually it's like the party of Christ, like like. Like Christians were Christ's party, almost like we think of our political party. So I think that's an interesting kind of nuance of, of the original term. Um, but it also was this way to differentiate what was going on between Jerusalem and Antioch. So you had the Jerusalem Jews 
that were the original people that were trying to, and the apostles, they were trying to um, bring the, the Israelites, the, the Jewish uh, community into complete fulfillment by accepting Christ as that promised Messiah. And, um, and so they were trying to restore historic Israel through, through the Jews. But then you had the Gentiles. They were also known as God-fearers, and they were essentially non-Jews that began to, to follow the way, that began to believe in Jesus. And so this Christian term was a way of distinguishing between that the original Jews in Jerusalem that were trying to convert Jews into Christianity and this new movement that was happening that was bringing in all kinds of people, again, because Antioch was so diverse. Um, and also in Antioch, probably the reason that it, it happened there is they just needed a new term to describe this gathering of people. That city was divided by class and by culture, like they had their cliques and the, the, the genre of groups that gathered. But what was different about the Christians is they, they, they crossed all those boundaries. There was not one classification that would describe the Christians. They broke those boundaries. So they did need a new term because there was this new movement that was happening. This new thing was taking place. And so Christian began to become the, the term, the word that they used to describe this new movement. That's amazing that they could yeah. all come together and, but still be apart of the different movements. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And, and, and a sign from us from the very beginning that Christ came for all people, that there's a message that all people can connect to. And it doesn't matter who you are or what your background is. Um, it, that's the unifying uh, um, reason that the community, the church, can come together. And it is. It's, that's been from the very beginning. The end of that story, we also just see an interesting glimpse of the community functioning with um, their beliefs around generosity. They were so generous, and they get this prediction that a famine is going to happen, and it will affect the Jerusalem Jews. So as an act of goodwill, they raise money and send to them to, to say, hey, brothers and sisters, we're on your side. We want to help you. And so here is, here is a gift um, out of our abundance to, to love and support you. So it gives us a sense of the origins of the early church, this passage does. And it's going to take some time to break this down and look at various facets of how did the church function in the beginning? What were some of the problems they had to overcome? And what were some of the fundamentals for them then that either are still fundamentals from now or maybe we've kind of stepped away from some of those things that were originally important. And so some of the things that we're going to look at as we remember our beginnings include how Jesus was the head of the church, the center of the church then and now. We're going to look at what worship was like then and what we can learn from that now. How do they do discipleship? How do they form community? Uh, how did they strive to be a holy, set-apart, and obedient people? What was the role of Scripture for them then, and what's the role of Scripture for us now? And how did they uh, view and use money then, and how do we view and use money now? All kinds of things that we're going to explore. But this is important. 
We are not trying to idealize the early church, right? They, they were not perfect. They, um, they didn't get everything right, and they learned as they went as well. Uh, but, and, and nor should the early church be recreated exactly as it was. But we are going to learn what can we, what, what, what can we take from how they did things that might help us today. And so I want to share with you two quotes from Will Willimon, a former United Methodist bishop, a professor, an author. And he looked at the early church and I think gave us some really helpful insights that tie um, um, who the church was then and what that has to say to us now. Uh, Willimon says, early congregations had success, they settled tough disputes, and they cared for one another. But they were also beset by many of the same inner conflicts and difficulties which plague contemporary congregations. Few dilemmas of the church have not been encountered and overcome in the very first congregations. In some ways, that is comforting. And in some ways that is depressing because it says to us that nothing new under the sun, right? That, that a lot of the problems and challenges that we face, others have already faced them before um, in, in their own time. And so what problems might feel like they're new to us, they're not new to this world and they are certainly not new to God. Oftentimes, if we take the time to study history, we can either find solutions to challenges that we are trying to figure out, or just as important, I think, we can find ways to not do things, that they tried things that didn't work, and so we can learn from that instead of repeating the same mistakes. Uh, so part of what we're doing over these next several weeks is remembering our history in order to understand our future. Now, Willimon also says this, the Lord has given the church the resources it needs to overcome its problems. Every time the contemporary church tackles a problem and works it through, it is making a statement of faith, quoting verse 21, that the hand of the Lord was with them. This is not some impossible ideal, but the real possibility for ordinary people who find their lives caught up in the workings of God who trusts the Spirit to enable the contemporary church to find its own creative solutions to contemporary challenges to the church. And I think there he just offers a word of hope that maybe the most important lesson in all of this that Willimon points out is that when life feels overwhelming, and it does get overwhelming, and when we as a church are overwhelmed by what God is asking us to do, to never, ever forget that the hand of the Lord is with us. Amen. Maybe right now it doesn't feel that way. But um, because the world, I mean, oh my gosh, it has, it's like it's gone crazy. Just last Sunday alone, so we're living in a pandemic, we had an earthquake, a hurricane hit our coast, and college students, we've survived this past week of college students descending upon Boone and moving back in. Like, it's crazy town around here. We went from... Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't get much crazier or overwhelming than that. But when we trust God to send the active Holy Spirit to guide us, when, 
We trust the teachings of Jesus to be our benchmarks and our guideposts when we gather our creative minds together that God has given us. Then there is not a problem that we can't solve. We not only persevere, but we can overcome these challenges. And we can continue to do our part to share the good news of Jesus Christ, that he loves us so very much that he would give his very life in order for us to have a life of grace and eternal joy. So I close with this thought as I was um, thinking and dreaming about not only this sermon, but the sermon series, the sermons to come. The message reminded me of one of Jesus's teachings that I think sums up what we're trying to do and things that we should be trying to avoid. And it's Jesus' teaching from Mark 2, um, 21 and 22, where he's talking about old and new wineskins. And Jesus says to, to them, no one sews a piece of new unshrunk cloth on old clothes. Otherwise, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and makes a worse tear. No one pours new wine into old leather wineskins. Otherwise, the wine would burst. The wineskins and the wine would be lost and the wineskins destroyed. But new wine is for new wineskins. So I know this is something that we don't necessarily do in the modern world the same way. We don't use wineskins anymore. But the concept is a powerful one that I think we can grasp. Leather skins that were used to store the wine would age with the new wine and would stretch as the wine finished its fermentation process. And so along the way, it would lose its elasticity and it would, would become brittle. So of course you wouldn't pour new wine into an old wineskin because then when that new wine would age, the old wineskin would just burst. In other words, you can't try and force new ways of doing things into old mindsets or old ways of doing things. And oftentimes the old ways lose their flexibility and their nimbleness and they can't accommodate a new idea or a new technique. And, and so Patty, I wonder if you can think of a, a, an example that you or someone that you know tried to put new wine in old wineskins. It reminds me of when Ken and I got married. I had two kids, and he had three. We became a, two adults with five kids. And as a single mother with two kids, breakfast was something right out of Martha Stewart. We calmly came in. I had my coffee. My two children sat down. We had a healthy breakfast <laughs> together and talked about our day. Well, it was cl very clear to me that that system was not going to be packed into our new family. Breakfast became Pop-Tarts and toaster strudel. <laughs> you got a glass of juice and you got a vitamin and hope to heaven's name that that took care of you for the day. We took backpacks and put them in the cars the night before and we counted kids. Do you have this one? Do you have this one? And off we went. So that's my story of trying to get my Martha Stewart family into this new one. It, it just didn't work. And so you figure out how to adapt yes. and you began a new way of doing things. And it may look terrible to other people, but it worked for us. Right. I love it. I love it. 
Uh, but it's true. I, th I bet every one of us can think of an example when we uh, had a new idea, a new possibility, a new opportunity, and then we tried to stuff it into our old way of doing things. We tried to force it into what we know, what we're comfortable with, the way we've all the way we've always done mm -hmm. it, and, and then it, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, at best, it doesn't fit. At worst, we explode and lose both the wine and the wineskin. We lose the idea, the possibility, and the, the framework that, that we, we even were used to. And so that's what we want to explore. And that's my, my invitation to you. Will you join me on this journey to explore lessons we might learn and apply from the early church to our times today? And will you join me in trying to avoid forcing new wine into old wineskins? My prayer is that we can look at our current circumstances and we can see all kinds of new opportunities. Y'all, there are all kinds of possibilities that we've never had before. We didn't feel like we could, could, could do so boldly a change that now we kind of have to. But with the changes that have been forced upon us also comes this freedom, this freedom to try new things. And maybe some of the new things aren't really all that new. Maybe they're just new to us. Maybe we've been given a gift that because we are having to change our ways that we may be able to let go of some bad habits and to take on some new good habits. Maybe we can have the courage and the vision to recognize there is more than one way that we can do and be church. And by figuring out how we can connect with one another in a time when we can't gather like we used to gather, that we'll exercise some new muscles that we didn't even know the body of Christ had. And maybe these new opportunities and possibilities for the church is cause for God to smile upon us. While God absolutely did not cause COVID-19 to happen to the world in order to bring this seismic shift in the function of the church, Romans 8, 28 reminds us that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. I think God is trying to show us an opportunity to experience good good for God in the midst of craziness. And I believe God has given us everything that we need to be the church of today, to transform lives, to love our community, to invite all to discover life in Christ. The question is, will we do it? If the early church figured out how to survive and even thrive, so can we. Amen. So can we, my friends. So can we. Amen. Amen.